0: Listeners, how you going? Welcome back, episode 25 of the ShinfoX Desmond podcast. We've made it, a quarter of a century. Can't believe it. Today, you have the special privilege of listening to me and Josh Smith talk about the music industry, the band that he's been in since he was 18, which is obviously Northlane. I'm a huge fan. I've loved them for a long time, and I've I didn't get to tell him this, but he'll listen. I listened to the first album upwards of like 2 or 3,000 times back in the days when uh, iPods had play counts, and I I, I looked at it and I was like, surely this is a mistake, like no song has 3,000 plays on it, but yep, that's what I did. So I'm a huge Misery Signals fan, and to me that band was a huge influence to Northlane and I just loved the music that they created. So I'm stoked to uh, have chatted today with Josh. hadn't talked to him in a couple of years, but when you have someone on Facebook and and, um, socials, you kind of feel like you, you know what they've been doing, but it was good to catch up. So Josh, appreciate the time. Um, I want to touch on a few things that I want to admit. Uh, Josh uh, spoke about in the interview about the band's documentary that's been released last year, called Negative Energy, and to be honest, I didn't know it existed, um, and I hadn't watched it, so I just did, and it was mind-blowing. It really goes into depth about what they went through as a band, and sometimes you just pigeonhole bands as you know if they're successful or in the metalcore genre then they um they've made it or they've got money or whatever but really wasn't the case for them they um they struggled through a lot of demons and they got through it and it's an awesome documentary so even if the band's not really your thing it's more just like a story of um of overcoming problems and getting through you know the things that life throws at you so i'd highly recommend that negative energy northland documentary on youtube Flame song playing in the background this is discoveries uh the instrumental song off their first full length it's uh it's incredible piece of musicianship as is the uh the instrumental song off the next album singularity which I've got to play because I sweat it so hard but it's got like a spoken word kind of uh sound bite to it and um it's sick, so I'm gonna throw in a couple songs of the bands as usual, but uh, yeah, hopefully you stick around and listen to them. But also, I've got to admit that uh, after Singularity, I did kind of drop off North Line. It just wasn't the same for me, so I kind of stopped listening. You know, I dabbled here and there, but it wasn't the same to me. But after talking to Josh, and listening to what they've been through, um, it really made me go back and listen to their older stuff, uh, and their newer stuff again, and I just, you know, I feel like a, a Desmond for being one of those guys who just jumps off a band for putting out an album that you don't thoroughly like, but that's kind of just the way the music industry is these days, so... Respect to Josh and the whole band for doing what they've been doing for so long, sticking at it. Um, You know, Josh told me at the end, he's only 31, started the band when he was 18, like what the fuck was I doing and anyone else was doing at 18, like I was just a bong smoking dickhead. And to start writing songs like that at that age was amazing, so fucking good on ya. Alright, I'll keep this short and sweet. As promised, here's the Singularity instrumental of the band's second album. Make sure you spread the word if you like this, subscribe, tell a few other Desmonds, I'm not done yet. And uh, stay safe. Talk to you next time. Peace.
1: listen to npr create your own road show the nexus of space and time where you are now is the most immediate sector of your universe and if you're worrying about michael jackson or bill clinton or somebody else then you are disempowered you're giving it all away to icons icons which are maintained by an electronic media So that you want to dress like X, or have lips like Y, or something, this is shit-framed, this kind of thinking, that is all cultural diversion, and what is real is you and your friends and your associations, your highs, your orgasms, your hopes, your plans, your fears, and we're told, no, we're unimportant, we're peripheral, yet it. Get a job, get a this, get a that, and then you're a player. You don't even want to play in that game. You want to reclaim your mind and get it out of the hands of the cultural engineers. who want to turn you into a half baked moron consuming all this trash that's being manufactured out of the bones of a dying world. Where is that at?
0: Thanks to my sponsor, Guzman and Gomez. You make good burritos. I would like some more. Cheers very much. Enjoy the episode. FOX Desmond. Listeners, we're in for a treat today. We've got uh, old-time mate, Josh Smith from North Lane. How you going, buddy?
2: Good, mate. I I didn't realize you'd done that many episodes now that you were like already scraping the barrel with all the, the guests you could get. Yeah, uh, I've, call hit, me up for a
0: I, I've hit rough bottom. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> yeah, it looks um, like it.
0: No, nah, it doesn't. I actually was too scared to get in touch because uh, you're too big these days.
2: hey i wasn't in the parkway dvd you were
0: yeah that's true um that's why everyone listens to the pod i think just is hoping that i talk about parkway yeah but um i just yeah my listeners are kind of like hardcore desmond's i don't know if they're into metalcore but i'm trying to get them into metalcore okay um just by making them uh listening to different songs so we'll see if they dig it i'm sure they will yep but whatever. Um, how you going? You got a good looking studio there?
2: Yeah, th- this is my um, office room in my house. I guess you could call it an office. Uh, doubles as a gym uh, recording studio uh, place where my girlfriend hangs up her coats and keeps her shoes. yep. Um, but yeah I, I live in Melbourne now um made it out of western Sydney.
0: Yeah, nice. Park.
2: Um and yeah, I, I love it down here, man.
0: Hey, it's good. You got through the big lockdown? I did.
2: Yeah, that was fucked. It would have it would have <laughs> it, been that, it was so like I tried to explain it to people that don't live here, but it it was pretty full on a eh? like I I kind of um made a few pretty big lifestyle changes about 18 months ago. Um, I don't know if you like knew, but I I guess you could say I was an elite athlete before I got into music. Um, so I used to race sprint and Olympic distance triathlon. Yeah. Right. Um, and I used to train about oh, 30, 35 hours a week when I was doing that. Five. And that was my life. Like until early adulthood when I uh, decided I wanted to do other stuff like play mm. music. So about 18 months ago, I was using this bike just to get around in because I live in like inner North Melbourne. So every vegan hipster has to have a bike to ride around. It's just the rules here. I've got one. Yeah, perfect. Mm. Um, anyway, my, my bike got stolen and um, I went and bought a pretty nice one. And then I just got back into cycling. And then like all my friends that do that are actually from the hardcore scene for the most part. And I just, um, yeah, I, I used to be a bit of a rat bag, but i kind of just stopped partying now. Don't really drink much, drink alcohol free beer. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just really into that these days. Well, it's
0: way better, huh?
2: That, yeah, it got me through lockdown. Cause like I had um, like a, training plan that i was following i was training every day or six days a week one rest day and what inside yeah i've got like an indoor trainer set up in my my office that i was using um and yeah man that got me through it and if i if i wasn't doing that i'd be a fucking mess like Mm. i know people that i guess like you know kind of still running around doing that shit and just like, they're all miserable. Yeah. And I, I don't understand. Like, I, I wouldn't have gotten through lockdown if it wasn't for that. And my mm. cats. Yeah. And I my mean, partner, Angie.
0: COVID was a hundred percent the time to reassess your life and say what yeah. me and what doesn't. So.
2: Yeah, that's it. I was like already doing this before COVID happened. Um, but you Know that kind of made it easier because I was already in the swing of it, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, anyway,
0: good to hear. Well, let's uh, let's go back to the early days of, of Blacktown, yeah. Tell us well, about the uh, this journey and how it begun.
2: North Lane started, uh, John and our old bass player, Milo, were um introduced to each other because one of them was dating a chick that the other one used to date (laughs) and she was like still talking to the other one yeah but she was like oh my boyfriend plays music you should talk to him and then they wrote a song together and um i was in like this local band that broke up and i was looking for a new band and i found them on myspace and they were good old days They needed new members so i went and tried out and for some uh pure lapse of judgment they let me in mm. um, and then it's just been downhill from there so <laughs> <laughs> our first uh singer that came along to a rehearsal was dre who's from hellions oh yeah he was, I guess he was in the band for about two weeks. I, I don't even know what happened there. It was Milo's shit. <laughs> um, and then Adrian came along. Um, and then not long after Adrian, Nick did. Uh, we like poached him from another local band. Um, but like very early on, I, I kind of said to everyone like, Hey, um, if we're going to do this, like we need to kind of do it properly. Cause you know, I, I kind of feel like a lot of bands that don't quite get there will go like 90% of the way mm. anyway. And it just takes like a little bit more commitment.
3: Yeah.
2: To actually get something out of music. And I, I kind of felt like this band would be the last crack that I had at doing music. Um, yeah. Right. So I'm i I'm like a little bit older than the other guys, not by much, but I kind of already had that switch go off in my brain. Hmm. Um, So I, yeah, I, I had that chat and then we just started like going really hard from pretty much day one actually. Um,
0: yeah, I was quite impressed with how hard you guys went. Cause uh, at the time was 2010, 11, yeah. And you started so, touring pretty hard?
2: Yeah, we, I think we formed in 08 or 09. Um, we recorded our first full length album in 2010. And then it took like a year for us to get signed and for that to come out. No one wanted to sign us. Mm. Um, and then Unified came along and signed us. And um, yeah. So I, I guess that was kind of like, I think back then, like labels were probably a lot more important than they are now. Yeah, um, I believe so. In terms so. of getting a foothold, like no one would really look at you if you weren't a signed band, um, mm. and you couldn't, you didn't really have access to, you know, distributing and marketing a record without that. So, um, did yeah, you book we, all
0: the old um, shows, the early days? Yeah,
2: I. I used to book the tours with. There's a guy called Tom Johansson, who's our booking agent now, and he was doing merch for us. Him and I used to kind of just look at a map and draw a tour up and then book it. And then we'd go play to like 20 people in any town that we could. Yeah.
0: I remember seeing your dates and going, who, honestly, I said, who is this band doing all these shows in towns that only Parkway play? Because at the time, we were going to these places and getting people, but not that many. Yeah, And and I was like, how could the, anyone else think that they're going to get people in Wagga Wagga? And you guys were well, playing to 20 people.
2: I mean, sometimes we did get people to shows, mm. but oftentimes we didn't. Yeah. Um, but actually it's funny that you bring Parkway up. Cause like, I, you know, I'm not going to talk about them all day cause you've, you've already heard it all. But I think like the thing that I really took away from them was the work ethic because there was all these bands trying to rip off their sound but I was like you're totally fucking missing the point of what's going on here (laughs) I was just looking at them going nah what they have obviously they have their sound every band does but their work ethic was unique to them and that's why they got so big yeah
0: yeah no i believe so Um,
2: so you know i i said to the guys like if you want to you know do this we're gonna have to work that hard and this is the roadmap for us yeah you know as far as what i can see is like this is what we're gonna have to do so we did it and then um kind of around the time where we got signed and our first album came out, I was kind of running out of ideas. Like I didn't really know where to steer the ship. Um, so we were offered and took on professional management. Um, I still kind of micromanaged the band the whole time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so.
0: At the time, how old were you guys and we all just work in average jobs?
2: Uh, yeah, so I well, when the band started, I was at uni and then I left because we were touring too much. Um, we were all working shit jobs, I was like making coffee for assholes. Um, yeah,
0: and it so was, it wasn't a hard decision out. to just quit your jobs and go touring because that's what everyone kind of wanted well, to do,
2: yeah. It's not that simple though because we uh, we still needed money so mm. it was like it's like a balancing act of touring coming home and working to the point where you just get fired.
0: Yeah.
2: You know. Yeah, we've all touring. gone through
0: it. It's pretty hard.
2: Yeah, and then like for a band as a band's growing like you don't you don't make money in those formative years either so mm. You're kind of on the bones of your ass, unless your band just blows up really fast. So, we kind of needed jobs, but we didn't have them. I, I yeah. still don't know how we got through all of that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, our first album, Discoveries, came out at the end of 2011. It was the 11th of the 11th. Um, and
0: it was a masterpiece. I'm just going to sweat you for a little bit. I've never uh, heard anything like it.
2: Yeah, well, that album really surprised us. But when it first came out, like, we were still really small. Like, we were supporting bands playing to, like, 300 people. I think our launch show, we sold about 150 tickets. Like, Mm. it wasn't, it didn't make a huge dent. Yeah. um, But it got us kind of a foot in the door. Um, it
0: was still early days in the scene though there wasn't many huge bands back then
2: yeah but i feel like it used to be a lot easier to get people to a show than it is now yeah i think it's a lot harder now but the difference is now people know how to for lack of a better word exploit that yeah so they know how to make a career out of that um but yeah we you know we did that and toured around a bit, like a fair bit in Australia. It would have been the first time I met you, I think. Um, and yeah, Parkway took us out on some like regional dates.
0: Yeah, six summer, 2012 I've got.
2: Yeah, that's it. Mm. Um, so there was a lot in Australia in 2012 that we did. And I think at the end of that year, we went to Europe for the first time. Uh, we did never say die. 2012 um and it went really well and that was kind of the turning point for us where we're like yeah this is you know this is actually mm. working out yeah um because we managed to like cover our costs on that tour just from our merch yeah we right. paid like 100 bucks a night but we made enough money to pay for all of it yeah because we were doing crazy merch every night so you know that led to us you know going and doing a second album without a whole lot of difficulty and um that was the one where shit really started to happen was when singularity came out um correct me if i'm wrong but that would have been 2013 yeah somewhere maybe like i'm thinking like august or something um yeah that's that's when we really started to dial shit up because you know we we're actually getting the offers in that were worth doing and mm. the songs were doing really well um merch is doing really well we still weren't making heaps of money for ourselves but you know we were growing yeah so we went to america for the first time to tour uh we went back to europe once or twice on that um But like we were doing back-to-back tours, staying away from home for like three months, stuff like that. Yeah, it would have
0: been challenging.
2: Yeah, there was one point where we did like, I think we did five or six weeks in America, and then we did a tour with Architects in the UK and Europe, and. That was like a six week tour as well. So I was away from home for almost four months, mm. which is hectic. Like, we yeah. just don't do shit like that anymore.
0: Yeah. Well, having a girlfriend and then having, you know, no money to come back to as well. Like,
2: yeah, it's rough. It's really rough.
0: But I guess that's what everyone who has made it to a point has had to do because you don't get to a level without doing that. So,
2: yeah. And, and, you know, when you're growing as a band, you have to take every offer that you can. Yeah. That's worth doing. The ones you turn down are more important. Um, what you say no to, mm. but when you're granted an opportunity, you really need to, to take it. Um, yeah. But anyway, kind of at the end of that cycle, Adrian left the band and I thought it was all over. Um, and oh. I think a lot of people did too. I actually,
0: uh, I, I was on that tour with Carnival with you guys. Yeah. I got to be your TM and I was like, this is, this is sick. I'm psyched on that. And then Adrian was like, oh man, I'm thinking of leaving the band. Told me, I said, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that. Like you're my favorite band. I don't want you to fucking go. And he's like, my voice is just fucked. And he had a lot of problems, didn't he? The poor guy.
2: Yeah, man. And. Like, obviously, the toll that all of that shit took on him as well had to Mm. have contributed. Yeah. I can't speak for the guy. Like, he's had his say on what happens, and I respect that. Um, But he's gone on to do some some cool shit. Like, he's finished his psych degree, so he's, like, an accredited counsellor now. Yeah, um, right. Awesome. And he seems really happy. So, I guess, like you know not everyone has the aptitude to go through all this and mm. and see it out or maybe they just don't think it's worth it and yeah you know to me it was always worth it but it's not to everyone so yeah he left and um then we had online tryouts for Marcus <laughs> to join
0: <laughs> how did that it's go
2: wild when i think about it we got about 2000 people apply with with like a video tryout and i had to watch every single one <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, that would have been some shit ones. I'm still disappointed that you didn't put your hand up. Um,
0: yeah, I thought Crafter was going to, to be honest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can't imagine having my dad in the band.
0: Yeah, well, I should have done um, it.
2: I, I didn't anyway. think I
0: needed to try out. You've seen me um, play on stage with Parkway. You should have just called <laughs> me up.
2: Fuck it all. Um,
0: but. Um, yeah, well, that would have been a challenge, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure you made the right choice.
2: Yeah, well, it was interesting because a lot of people actually found out about us because of that. Right. Like they found out about Northlane because we were looking for a new singer online. Okay. And it actually led to a really big moment when our first song came out with him. And it kind of looks like we'd saved everything. But then, you know, when that, third album came out and especially the one after that our popularity took a huge nosedive yeah right and it was interesting because we got into the point where i was like on the cusp of making a decent living out of being in this band being comfortable and not having anything to worry about which was like huge for me because it's fucking stressful um but yeah like you know, shit wasn't looking good. And then... um
0: But what what do you put that down to?
2: I don't know, man. It's like, I guess we...
0: You changed music directions.
2: Yeah, we did. We did. That was already happening. Um, I don't know if that was a misstep or not because it kind of led us to where we are now. Yeah. So, like it's funny because I, you know, some people at the time were writing off what we were doing, but um, other people that I know have said stuff to me about, about that, especially that third album, node that it just kind of opened their eyes up to what a band could step out and do. Yeah. Um, uh, Jamie from Polaris has mentioned it in interviews before, and I spoke to him about it on tour um so i think it was actually pretty important for us to lay down in the blueprint for that album that you know we could kind of step out and do something else but the mistake that we made is we recorded it when we weren't ready to okay um so we kind of got rushed into doing it and if i'd had my way again like looking at the history of the band to me that's the biggest mistake we ever made
3: yeah
0: right.
2: because I think like some of those songs could have been developed a lot more, um, but you know, the decisions we made at the time we have to live with.
0: Yeah. But I mean, you guys are, are obviously amazing musicians and you didn't want to just put out a, another album like you did previous, which is why you stepped out of your comfort zone, which in El- the end, yes, yeah, good evolution.
2: The thing is with that though, like after Singularity came out, there's so many bands starting to sound like that. Yeah. And especially now, like, I could I could name 10. That's a show.
0: genre now, like...
2: Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not saying we created it because we didn't. We listened to Misery Signals and tuned Law. Mm. Like, that's, that's what that was. Yeah. You know? So, like, it, it, it's not... None of it was... Like, if you dissect the music, it, it's not groundbreaking and genre defining it's just it was just a recipe of other shit that was going on like even strapping young lad with the way the tunings worked um obviously the vocals are their own thing but yeah it's the thing is like i feel like if we just stuck to doing the same thing we kind of would have drifted into obscurity anyway yeah true so i think we made the right decision but um it It was the album after that, which was Mesmer, that shit got really dark because um, during the node cycle, we were like still pulling all right numbers to shows. It just wasn't growing. But, you know, having gone from a pretty iconic vocalist that was Adrian to somebody new to step into his shoes, who, you know, definitely wasn't comfortable with the role back then. Yeah um you know i I was happy that things were just still ticking over but when we released our fourth album mesmer it really wasn't um received the same way as like by the public as as the ones before it and um yeah our our popularity really fell off
0: The, the public are fucked. I mean, you, you do something different, they hate you. You do the same thing, they hate you. Like, it would be really difficult.
2: Yeah, but I think, like, it kind of led us to this dire situation, which was when we were recording our fifth album. Like, everything kind of – we've released a documentary about this that I'll plug real quick. It's called Negative Energy, and you can watch it for free on YouTube. But It kind of explains this – very key moment that I'm about to talk about. And we got to the end of the Mesmer cycle. Well, we knew we were broke, but um, I actually moved on from our manager that was taking care of the band from 2011, all the way up until then. Um, found out that we were in like so much debt, like an obscene amount of debt, like six figures and beyond. <laughs> um i was assigned another manager at that same company and then he kind of saw the numbers and let us go um and no one at the time wanted to pick us up Mm. because we looked like a band that had had our moment in the sun and then just fallen off right and and you've seen it all before like so many bands especially after their fourth record are just off the face of the earth yeah never to be seen again um so i had to kind of pick the pieces up and i took it on so i started managing the band the end of the mesmer cycle um i had to figure out how to record another album and you know start getting us out of debt and i managed to do that by the time the alien cycle started which was the next album and For that album, we just cut every cost we could. So we recorded it at my friend's studio in Sydney. Uh, We did the vocals in the same room that we did the vocals for Discoveries in Blacktown. Yeah, right. um, (laughs) uh, We stayed in this Airbnb that cost $2,000 for a month. (laughs) Um, It had mold in the carpet and it was disgusting um like we, we did it for as cheap as we could you know in a way that would still get us the results that we wanted and we spent about a quarter of what the one before us cost
3: yeah well wow.
2: but then that album was the real turning point because we decided we weren't going to play it safe anymore we were really angry and really fed up so the music was too And Marcus started to tell his story then like, he kind of touched on it um, in the past, but he's like this lovely guy that's just had the most fucked life you could ever imagine. And you know, there's still shit going on to this day that he has to deal with. It's like a new fucking thing every week for him. Um, And I, I don't know how he does it uh, but um yeah people just really connected with that um, and we just kind of threw the rule book out and didn't try to do anything that wasn't what we wanted to do and that's how we used to write music yeah and um, it connected really well like it's been our biggest album ever um the you know, numbers for, we, we did like a world tour off the back of releasing that all our own headline stuff. And most of it was sold out. Um,
0: that was a huge yeah. tour. I remember seeing the t-shirt for yeah. that. It was fucking and, massive.
2: And, and the shows were all sick. There wasn't one bad show. Yeah. Wow. Maybe, oh, maybe there was like one or two in weird places in Europe. Yeah. But Besides that, like we did really well. And, you know, I've like, on on the back end of the band, like because I manage the band, we're not paying commissions out the ass. We do our merch through like a mate of mine's business. So we save a bit of money there. Um, Now we're actually independent of a record label too. So in future we'll keep our masters and get decent royalties from our music. And my guys actually, you know, especially now which is weird because of covid and everything that they're actually doing okay financially so we've been through like the hard part of a band growing and then we've been through the even harder part of kind of being on the cusp of doing really well and getting shafted mm. come out of it and and now things are really good like obviously what's happened in the last 18 months has just screwed everyone but Yeah you know i i think that um a lot of the decisions we've made have kind of worked out and things are pretty good now
0: yeah well credit to you it must have been a huge undertaking learning all these new areas of the band
2: yeah well i mean i i kind of had my finger on it the whole time um but i didn't trust my judgment and then yeah i i just kind of got forced in the position where i had to do it mm but I'd learned enough being on the road and I also have my prior experience, like the study I did in economics and marketing and stuff to be able to, you know, run a business. Um, so I was able to do that. And the funny thing was that I had mates that were in bands that were really struggling with their management that asked me to, you know, if I'd be interested in working with them. and. Now I have a management company. Yeah, right. So like, yeah, it's, I, I guess everything's kind of worked out.
0: Mm. Tell us about the management company.
2: So I partnered. I, I was, well, when I took over North lane, the biggest problem that I had um, was that, you know, I was really confident. I was doing a good job of everything that I could control. So I was staying on top of the money stuff. I was, you know, making sure things happen so when we got to gigs there was merch there there was backline there the flights were on the right days and Uh. all of that sort of stuff but um the biggest issue i had was like i wasn't really taken seriously by other people in the industry um so like i couldn't put my foot down when i had to i couldn't Kick doors in, like, I was just a, a self managed artist. Okay. Which is actually really hard because a lot of the stuff that goes on is kind of about what bargaining power that you have, and if yeah, you don't right. have, you know, if you don't have anything behind you, it's really difficult. So I wanted to partner up with someone, also because I I didn't feel confident taking anyone else on myself and i had people asking so i partnered up with a guy called chris o'brien who was the booker for soundwave used to manage a bunch of bands quite a while ago he's been in the industry forever and um our skills kind of matched up really well and we got along so we decided to start a management company and now we have a couple of bands that we work with that are really cool and I find it really inspiring, but it's also made my job easier as a manager in Lane. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah. Fuck That's yeah. what I spend most of my time doing now.
0: And uh, how do you navigate managing bands in the current climate?
2: Uh, it's tough because, you know, you can't really do a whole lot. Yeah. You can, but you can't at the same time so i think like having really realistic expectations is important um and we had to like i mean it didn't really matter for us because we we were growing when this stuff happened so we weren't around long before COVID hit so we didn't have to scale a whole lot back but um yeah i guess like most of our artists have just put the time into working on new music, which yep. makes sense. And
0: that's all there is honestly, to do.
2: Yeah. And honestly, like from learning from all my mistakes and the things that I've done, right. I think, um, spending time getting that stuff as best you can is probably the most important thing you can do as a musician because yep if you spend extra time making an album really good, it can define the rest of your life. But yeah. if you rush it, then it's, you know, things might not work out. For and sure. We took our time with our last one and that paid off. So I'll always stand by that.
0: Were you, had you had a, a bunch of tours planned or were you kind of in a in a middle cycle of, of not touring when COVID hit?
2: We got lucky because we just finished that world tour we did for alien um and we were gonna do some european festivals kind of last may june like all the big ones yeah um so we had to cancel that we were gonna take time off to write and record an album after that anyway okay so there was that there was like a us tour supporting a pretty big band over there that we had to pull and I was talking to someone else about a European one too, but like looking really far ahead, we didn't have anything further than a year out. Right. Um, so we, we were going to take time off anyway. So it actually wasn't too bad for us.
0: Are you using this time to, to write more stuff?
2: Yeah, we are. We are. We've, we've done like two EPs that are not normal so i can't fully say what they are yet but they're like just other shit we wanted yep. to do for a while um but we're also working on a new album too and the songs are coming together really cool for that and i'm hoping we're gonna have a song out in the near future as well um so Fuck yeah. yeah you've been keeping
0: busy that's good
2: yeah we did take some time off though and we haven't done that for the 10 or something years that the band's been together so yeah like that was pretty cool too
0: it's crazy um sorry a lot of guys who are in bands who have just constantly toured for 10 years they don't know what to do with their time at least you've got other areas whereas most guys don't have a job to go to don't have any skills and they're like what the fuck am i meant to do
2: yeah i mean it the thing is for me like a lot of those guys too they, like, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone, but a lot of people bludge a lot when they're on tour. Yeah. So I, I kind of have less free time at home than I do on tour, so I would fill that time up doing this shit. So not a whole lot changed when I got home anyway. Yeah,
0: I can be the first to off. say that I bludged a fuckload on tour, and I regr- <laughs> I regret it now. Like, I, I wish I studied something earlier. I wish I thought about the end game sooner because it has to end at some point, unless you set things up to happen for you.
2: Well, for me, it's not so much of an end game. It was just like, you know, I, I I know that like, I mean, most Lane's already scaled back the amount we tour anyway. So like, we're only going to go out now if we're going to make money doing it or if it's a huge support Yeah, and we only go away for four to six weeks max. Before we come home and then we'll take like a month off yeah because it's just otherwise it's just too much yeah we'll we'll not be enjoying it um but like yeah for me what i regret is just all the time i spent chilling it's not even like i think it's really cool when you get to go see the world when you're young you get to go to all these exciting places and have heaps of fun and that that's great and you need to do that but When you've already done it and you've already seen it all, and you're just sitting in the back of a venue, isn't it fucked? Instagram. That's that's the point where I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my time? Yeah, done nothing except play a gig and shot off a few emails. Like,
0: yeah, and you see it everywhere. There's there's forty guys on tour, and not one of them want to go outside. They just want to look at Instagram and waste their time.
2: And it's it's fucking wild.
0: Uh, yeah, it's a really big syndrome that everyone kind of has to realise. And, and that's when I I started wanting to go on um, adventures around the city, for instance. But then for me, the, the workload got too big that I was in a venue from 8am till 2am. yeah. And I was like, this is fucked. This is too hard for me. I probably yeah. quit because work got too hard, to be honest. But yeah, it's a tough one.
2: Well that side of it's totally different as well. Like yeah, crew.
0: Yeah. When you're a crew member, it's um it's it turns out not to be fun. But when you're in a band, you've got an hour obligation per day, you've got no excuse not to do shit. But it is easy to just sit in the bus and eat food and do fuck all. So
2: Yeah, that blows my mind. Like even even when I was like peak rat bag, I was still go for a run or do yeah. yoga or something just something mm. you know i could never just sit around all the fucking time like that's man, why roadies
0: and band dudes are so fat and unfucking healthy
2: yeah it's crazy it's crazy man it man even like when i look at my weight like i lost well since i started riding bikes again i lost like 12 kilos or something i didn't even try mm. it just happened and that just was actually just from years of like drinking beer and just being a dickhead.
0: Yeah. Are you, are you vegetarian as well?
2: I'm actually vegan.
0: You're vegan now?
2: Yeah. So I was vegetarian for like, uh, five years. Yeah. Right.
0: And that's obviously hasn't affected any of your training.
2: Oh, uh, I reckon it's better for that.
0: Yeah. Because like It's just another myth really, after- isn't
3: it?
2: yeah it's funny because a lot of the pro cyclists are vegan Mm. because most of what you have to eat is just carbs anyway yeah right kind of perfect for it because all of i mean there's there's some benefits to eating meat like you can get it from other shit though Mm. if you're eating huge amounts of food like i do yeah pretty easy yeah you don't I mean, I eat pretty well though, like, but as long as you're not eating French fries for lunch every day, like,
0: well, I've seen some of your, um, rides on, on Facebook, like 200 K rides and shit. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: That's fucking insane. Like uh, how much food do you eat after that? Like (laughs) mountains.
2: Well, you actually have to eat while you're doing it. Right. Yeah. What? When I go out on a big one, I'll have like gels, bars, lollies, all kinds of shit to eat. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, you kind of run out of blood sugar. Yeah. Um,
0: run out of energy.
2: Yeah, it kind of feels like being drunk, but without alcohol. Okay. It's the it's the worst feeling in the world. Yeah. Um, Right. So you kind of want to eat before and during, and then after you yeah i guess you would eat a bit but you're kind of so burnt that you can't eat a whole lot mm. but um and um i doing that
0: you may as well plug your podcast too you've got a bit of a podcast going
2: yeah i'm i'm gonna relaunch that soon so it was called the boutique sounds podcast and i ran that all through last year um we're gonna be relaunching that with a new name and a new look soon. So. Okay. I'll I'll be talking about that on my socials at some point i Yeah, there.
0: it's um, it's all just guitar based. Is it all guitarists?
2: Yeah, for the most part. I mean, right. I just stick to what I know.
0: Yeah. yeah, me too. I just talk shit with dudes, so <laughs> it's not that hard. Okay. I uh, I've I've thought about branching out, but to be honest, I I, I don't really want to talk to guys I don't know. Um, yeah. So I'm just sticking to people that I'm, you know, acquaintances with it's worked yeah. so far.
2: Eventually you've run out though, and you have to.
0: Yeah. Call cool. you up. Haven't talked yeah. to you in five years.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's nah, not true. It's more just um, for me, when, when you're out of the scene and you're not touring, it's incredibly hard to see people that you did know when you toured. So apart from having people on Facebook, it, you don't really have a, a friendship relationship very well.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting. And like yeah. obviously there's no gigs happening either, but.
0: Yeah. And so I, I just kept friends around to have free tickets into gigs. Um,
2: yeah, one of those, eh?
0: Yeah, I was one of those for sure. But I also, I actively tried to um, stop associating with, like industry folk, not band dudes. Well, no, not you, cause you're in a band that I sweat and I wanted to go see your band when you played. But like management types, I just was like, yeah, uh, I, I, we, we, like, I didn't really get along with them cause coming from a hardcore background and then having to deal with managers, it was so obscure to me.
2: Man, I, I'll be honest with you, either do I. Mm. And it was a skill I had to learn. Yeah. Because you this can only you can only get so far, but I've still said and done shit that's landed me in hot water that you've probably heard about over the last couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Because I still have that attitude. Yeah. And I think like it's really important attitude to have. Like and it's funny because some of the people in the biggest bands that I've ever met, um, uh you know very humble people and just nice yeah and aren't dicks and then it's it seems to be the ones that kind of almost got there that are just total fuckwits mm. but the managers of those bands they're interesting interesting people yeah and, and um you know it's a world that i dip my toes in but i don't love but it's like a necessary evil yeah Um, but i think you know i kind of wanted to set an example of of how you could do this without being one of those people yeah um and i wanted to be someone that could offer an alternative to to bands that you know struggle with that because i actually do know what it's like and that's the the toughest thing is like the disconnect between a lot of managers that have never been in bands hundred percent
0: they just come well, off a uni degree and get a job in a music yeah company you know,
2: and and like some some managers have been in bands um and those ones understand some of them that haven't that have been around long enough will understand too but you get people that just have like no respect for the amount of money that you have to pay them to do that job
3: mm.
2: you know and and we'll do shit like the day you get home schedule an interview with some fuckwit on the other side of the world <laughs> that you have to do and mm. you haven't seen your family for eight weeks so you know I, I i just think i don't blame you for that yeah i'll say that and and there's a lot of shit that comes with it that you don't even need to be involved in like that they're the they're the ones that party harder than the bands yeah and and, and, you know you don't have to participate or be around that even if you're involved in it
0: for sure it's crazy seeing smaller bands that come out of the gate with a fully fledged manager and all this sort of stuff these days it yeah you wonder why they bother but they probably got handpicked by some manager in the first place
2: well it's funny because i have one of those bands okay i actually kind of have two there's a band that i manage called wind waker who they put an ep out and they're about to release their first album um and i mean they kind of needed it so for them it's but they'd already done a lot themselves like they get it um, but I think they're definitely going to be one to watch in years to come because they have that right attitude They're they're actually country kids from, um, kind of like the border between new South Wales and Victoria, that sort of area like Wagga and stuff. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're all switched on and they're really exciting to me. And then there's this other band that I can't fully talk about yet. Cause we haven't announced it, but. They actually have done a lot less than that, but I kind of saw a lot of potential in what they were doing. Right. And I wanted someone that I could work with from the ground up so they wouldn't make mm. those really bad mistakes, I guess. But what you're saying is valid too, because there's so many people in this industry putting their hand out mm. that can't get a decent act. So they'll prey on these smaller bands and do all kinds of crazy shit, like charge them a retainer for 2000 bucks a month to do fuck all. And, Mm. you know, then those artists never really learn. Yeah.
0: And those artists don't um, know any better and someone's taken interest in them. So they just jump at whatever's offered to them.
2: Yeah. I, I think like it's a case by case thing where some bands need it. Other bands don't. But I can tell you, like, you know, the ones that I work with, you know, not every band has a me or, you know, Parkway, they've got Pig doing it. Like, yeah. not every band has that. Yeah. So they kind of need that help. But the problem is there's a lot of, like, sharks in the pool, you know? Yeah. People doing it for the wrong reasons, so, mm. you know?
0: Well, you would think that if you're in a band and you have somewhat potential, you'd want to at least have knowledge of what's happening. So you'd want to be active in that um, as opposed to someone who's just like, whatever, just let someone else make the decisions. Yeah. Because I've worked with bands on both sides and the bands who are just lazy and just get shit done for them, that's just, that's shit. I didn't like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what capacity you're talking about, but, like, from a business perspective, not everyone has those skills, I guess. Yeah,
0: but also um, day-to-day functions, like,
2: yeah, can't, even, crazy, can't
0: even get up on time and drunk and, you know, I think you know <laughs> who I'm talking about.
3: <laughs> I'm not it, gonna
0: name that. And it was just like, come on, we're all 35-year-old men. Get the fuck up out of bed. We've got to catch a flight. It's just shit like that, so that really put me over the edge.
2: Everyone's uh, look. I reckon if you're gonna fucking do that shit, like sure, but keep a lid on it, you know. I don't know. Everyone, yeah. Different.
0: And what are the uh, like? What are your thoughts on like the mid-level hardcore band who is currently stuck in in the COVID world, where they might not even play a show for a couple of years? Do you think it's it's going to be like, you're going to see a lot of bands just quit and give up because they realize yeah. they might have to get a job or something.
2: We are, Man, you already are. You already are seeing that. Like, uh, one of the first was, uh, you know, Obey the Brave. Like, yeah. a couple of the ex-Despise icon guys, they, they threw the towel in. Right. Because, you know, it didn't make sense anymore. I reckon there's going to be heaps of others. Or, you know, especially like the, all the guys in America, like, yeah, they're gonna struggle the most because you know, we got handouts here, like, yeah, we can get heaps. But with Aussie bands, like, if you're a professional, you would have gotten JobKeeper. If you weren't quite at that point yet, you probably had another job. So, like, most people that I know that are in Aussie bands that are kind of mid level were okay. Um, but in the States, like, the bands over their tour too much anyway mm. and this this actually plays into what I should have said to you before when you asked me I totally forgot to mention the biggest thing that covid's made me focus on is like other ways that bands can make money without having a tour all the time mm. because touring all the time is not good you get to a certain point where everyone's seen you already and they're just going to stop coming to shows yeah And there's the shit that it does to your life. So, you know, the problem with a lot of bands in America is they're kind of running on the smell of a rag for nine months of the year, Mm. profiting very little from a lot of shows Mm. living out of a van. Right. And it's okay. As long as they can stay on the road. Yeah. Yeah. They get by like that for fucking years. Mm. And you know bands like that. Yeah. Doing it Forever. So for them, they're the ones that are going to hurt the most because they don't have skills. You know, they don't have a safety net. They've got nothing. They might have a bit of savings, but that's it. Mm. So, like, yeah, for, I, I'm, I reckon you're going to see a lot of people leave the game, to be honest. And they've. <laughs> The other thing that's going to happen too is a lot of the kind of bands that were starting to pop off, if they weren't able to engage people through the internet instead, while this has happened, when previously they would have relied on touring to kind of spread the buzz, they're never going to have careers. Mm. And I think that's even worse.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough time. And unfortunately... Like, I can't foresee time even this year that the government will allow even three or 400 people in a room without masks to, to mosh together. Can you?
2: Yeah, I reckon we will. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, like, it's already happening at sports events. Yeah. There's been gigs happening in Brisbane and Perth, which aren't even COVID safe. They're just reduced capacity. Okay. Um, I reckon it will be fine sort of middle of the year. All right. Fingers crossed. That's a prediction. We're booked for a festival in Australia then. Okay. Um, which I totally think is going to go ahead unless there's some sort of disaster. Yeah. I reckon it will because the vaccine will start rolling out. I reckon rules will get more relaxed and I reckon by the end of the year, australia is probably going to be pretty much back to normal but yeah the rest of the world fuck no
0: <laughs> yeah they are really <laughs> We're fast. So
2: lucky we're so lucky here and i think like you know as people get more confident that we've kept it out of the community and you have people that are vaccinated i reckon events are gonna return yeah something needs to happen because if they don't all the production companies are going to go under all of the yeah. you're going to go under because job is ending. So mm. like yeah. I I really think that the government will they're either gonna to have to bail all these people out, which they won't because mm. they can't mm. or just let events happen. So I, I reckon you know, I reckon what was happening in Perth and stuff will just end up happening across the rest of the country. Um And yeah, I I kind of feel like from May, June onwards is when you'll see that. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, definitely. I don't have have a crystal ball, but that's what I think.
0: Well, we've got to have hope that it can return to some point. But uh, yeah, definitely no overseas touring for a long time.
2: Yeah, I mean, that is what it is. Like, we're still planning tours overseas. From like early next year onwards, but it's kind of arbitrary because mm. every band is in the situation now where if touring goes ahead and they're not locked in from like next year to up to the middle of the year, like they're not going to be able to tour because all the venues are booked, all the buses are booked. Like there'll be saturation. Are- yeah, people. People are already doing that, so it's actually a really difficult time to be planning. You know, for me, but yeah,
0: especially because people aren't going to be able to go to every show because people don't have jobs to then pay that, for tickets. Yeah, that's
2: that's a whole nother kettle of fish, man. Mm. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't uh, want to get too neggy on the COVID. So
2: we'll, we'll
0: stop it there. But fuck, an hour goes by. Time flies when you're talking Shinfo. Sweet. But uh, yeah, I appreciate yeah. you chatting to me. All uh,
2: oh, good, mate.
0: I'll leave you there. You get back to some work. Yep. Do you, do you just do a, a regular work day in there and do emails and whatever else you do?
2: Yeah, I on most days I get up at 530 I'll go train with my mates for like an hour or two. Um, if it's raining, I'll do it indoors. i race Wednesday nights. Um, and yeah, in the day, I'll just work. Sometimes I'll be working on music stuff with North Lane. But um, if I'm not, every day of the week, yeah, I'm pretty much at my desk sometimes till nine o'clock at night. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. Um, just depends how busy i am
3: mm,
0: well you got a good routine and, and and you're fortunate that you've got all the stuff that you need to do so yeah, you know you said. planned you planned well and you definitely had a a good goal in mind so you know i'm stoked for you
2: thanks jed
0: yeah i'm still uh still trying to figure out my own shit. i'm 40 in april so <laughs> we'll see what happens there
2: oh you don't look a day over 25.
0: Yeah, well, I'm off to a body pump class now with a bunch of fifty-year-old women. So
2: uh, I'm off to a yoga class with a bunch of um. Well, I don't want to say it while you're recording.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But um, no, <laughs> you you, you got to do something to to keep active.
2: Yeah, that's it. It's man. it's
0: it's the secret to the youth. How old are you these days? I'm
2: thirty-one. Thirty-one. I hesitated for a second because I, I fucking forget. After you turn 30, you just stop. Fuck,
0: 30. dude. You re- you released that album when you were 20. Don't.
2: Do
0: Far out, mate. I know.
2: Where's my life gone? 30, Where's
0: 40. mine? I'm fucking 40. <laughs> I-, I will sweat one more thing. I loved um, when you guys toured with Parkway because uh, yeah. especially when I remember um, Nick and Ben and Gaz talking, and, yeah. and Nick was showing Ben, like, special, like, drum rolls and shit. And, and Nick's like, your album, Killing With a Smile, is the reason we got into playing music. Yeah. And Ben was just like, holy shit, now I'm learning how to play drums off you. Like...
2: That was weird, eh?
0: Yeah. It was it was interesting to me to see, you know, you guys as, as actually skilled musicians. um Like, obviously, Parkway can play their instruments well, but... They're not music heads per se. They're just
2: yeah, yeah. I I mean they they're very good though. Like
0: yeah, they've probably gotten better over time. But now I think they're the only band in the world that's pretty stoked that they don't have to play a show. Uh,
3: <laughs>
0: they've all got other shit on on their plates and um yeah, like the couple have kids and Gaz has businesses and they're all just doing their thing and.
2: Someone's bashing my door down so I'm oh. going to cut you off and see what's let's, going Let's end it. All the best, All mate. Right. Cheers. Bye.
0: Hey, everyone. Well, that was that. I loved it. Thank you very much for listening. A few things I want to say before I close. I don't usually do an outro, but this uh, episode needs it. Firstly, sorry about the uh, the vocals. Hopefully I wasn't too loud and Josh wasn't too soft. It's very hard to to gauge that when you're on a Zoom call and it sounds fine to you, but that's just the way it comes out. But uh, you've all dealt with worse. But uh, onto a serious topic, uh, I've decided to play one more song at the end of this. It's called Bloodline. And uh, in the interview, Josh talked about um, Marcus's uh, upbringing and childhood and, and the heavy uh, lyrical content that came with the uh, Alien album. Um, and I just watched the, uh, film clip on YouTube and it's fucking heavy. So if you haven't watched any of their stuff or are unfamiliar, you know, it's, um, it's the music's different, but the music's still heavy, but the lyrical content and the meaning behind it is, is really extreme. Um, domestic abuse and violence is, is a very heavy subject. So, you know, hopefully no one has had to endure any of that, um, as with any alcoholism or anything like that, but I uh, hope that everyone enjoyed the interview, enjoyed the music, and you share it around, and we'll be back again soon. Here's the song, check, yeah.
4: Ha ah!